0: Shalom, and welcome once again to Parashah Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week's Parashah, as we read it in Israel, is Parashat Behar. Uh, the uh, central topic of Parashat Behar is uh, the agricultural laws known as Shemitah and Yovel. There are some other... Uh, topics that are uh, directly related to uh, those uh, to those topics the Torah has uh, been projecting uh, a program if I may say uh, for creating a society of the values of Torah which are the values of uh, of kidduha of sanctity as well as of of justice uh, and those ideals uh, really are meant to reach their fullest uh, fulfillment in the land of Israel uh, where the society is meant to uh, be based and where the society is uh, made aware at all times uh, of their connection to Hashem that Hashem uh, is the ruler of the entire society indeed of the entire world Um, and uh, this is expressed very very keenly in uh, the mitzvah uh, the mitzvot of Shemitah. Uh, Shemitah is the seventh year. Uh, uh, it is the year uh, where the Torah says uh, that in recognition of the fact that the land of Israel belongs to Hashem, uh, that we have to, in that seventh year, uh, give the land uh, a kind of Shabbat. Uh, just like Shabbat is the seventh day, so Shemitah is the seventh year. And what that means is that we are not to work the land. Uh, it, it, the, the land is not to be worked, and uh, also uh, any produce that grows uh, naturally uh, has to be permitted for all. That has to be permitted for people, for animals. Uh, one is not permitted to act towards it as if one is the sole owner of it. That's the Shemitah. There's some. Uh, Quite a, a number of related uh, mitzvot, but again, uh, the purpose of this is to show that the, that the the land belongs to Hashem. It is Shabbat LaShem. Uh, it is a kind of Shabbat where the land itself was allowed to uh, observe a year-long type of Shabbat. It's not. Uh, it doesn't have as many prohibitions as uh, the weekly Shabbat does, but the land is allowed uh, to. To, to lie fallow, and that's essentially what the word Shemitah means, uh, release, the, the year in which the land is uh, released, it is not worked. The Torah then goes on to say that uh, every year of Shemitah, uh, we are to count uh, how many years it is uh, leading up to the Shemitah. And when you go through seven shmitot, seven times seven, that's forty-nine. The fiftieth year has a uh, an additional special designation, and it's known as the year of Yovel. Uh, Yovel is a, a Hebrew word that it's another word for the shofar, uh, and that is because at the beginning of the Yovel year, specifically on Yom Kippur. Uh, To initiate, to announce that the Yovel has begun there's a special mitzvah to blow the shofar on Yom Kippur at the beginning of uh, Yovel. The word Yovel, by the way, gives us the English word Jubilee. So there's a mitzvah to count the years. Uh, We understand that this mitzvah is not an individual mitzvah, it's a mitzvah that uh, is uh, discharged on behalf of the entire community by, me, by the Sanhedrin, by the court. And when the Yovel year begins, as I said, on Yom Kippur, the shofar is, uh, is blown. It's a similar shofar blowing uh, as the shofar blowing on Rosh Hashanah of every year. And this is the beginning of the proclamation that uh, Yovel has begun. And uh, Yovel has its own special uh, rules. Uh, like Shemitah, it is also a year in which we do not uh, work the land. Uh, but in addition, uh, slaves, even slaves who have been enslaved, uh, as the Torah elsewhere says uh, permanently, uh, those slaves are, uh, are released, they are emancipated. Also, land that has been sold uh, with uh, certain specific uh, exceptions as the Torah will say later on but land that has been sold returns to its original owner uh and uh so the the uh, the Yovel year is a year of uh, great freedom and great uh, liberation the Torah then continues uh with some rules some mitzvot that are directly related to uh Yovel uh one of the things that the Torah teaches is that um, when one sells uh, land, uh, one is only selling it for its use until Yovel, and therefore the price is determined based on the number of crop years left until Yovel. Uh, that has to be taken into consideration uh, when trying to uh, determine the value of the land that is being uh, that is being sold. The Torah. Furthermore, uh, says that uh, in the process of doing this, uh, these transactions, uh, we are not to wrong one another. Uh, the person uh, selling the land uh, seems to need the money, and so we are not to take advantage of the fact that he is desperate, um, and the one who is... Uh, uh, the one, uh, not to take advantage, the purchaser is not to take advantage of him and the, and the seller is also not to take advantage of the of the purchaser as well. The Torah says in a very general sense, uh, not to wrong one another and we'll come back to this idea uh, later on. Shem uh, reminds us that by observing uh, these mitzvot, the mitzvot of Shemitah, the mitzvot of uh, Yovel, that God uh, will bless us, uh, because we are showing uh, our reliance and our dependence uh, and our trust in Hashem. Uh, When the Yovel comes, uh, Yovel is a year when the land is not worked, and it comes right after uh, a Shemitah year, uh, when the land is not worked uh and so as the torah points out people might panic and uh, say well what what will i be able to eat if uh, we don't work the land for those two consecutive years so hashem says if you trust in hashem uh, and you observe these mitzvot hashem will give uh, a blessing of 3 years worth of crops in one year uh, and therefore it will be possible to uh, to survive uh the torah uh reiterates Uh, that the land is not to be sold permanently uh, because we have to remember that even when you own land you are owning Hashem's land and you are uh, owning that land by the grace of uh, of Hashem. Uh, The next section is also related because we've been talking about the importance of not taking advantage of others uh, and and that has a lot to do with the uh, with the sale of land, especially the land that has been uh, divided up in the land of Israel among the various tribes. Uh, it's recognized that a person is only going to sell that land when he really needs the money. And so the Torah uh, says that uh, if someone, if your fellow Jew becomes uh, poor and really needs uh, to sell his uh, property, um, so... Uh, we are told that uh, the the rules about the redemption of the property, that it is possible for a close relative uh, to redeem the property, uh, or the person himself who sold it uh, can redeem it when he can afford it. There are some exceptions, such as a house in a walled city, and the Torah deals with uh, walled cities and unwalled cities, and also the cities of the Levim. Remember that the tribe of Levi, did not receive their own uh, land, their own uh, uh, property uh, to farm. Uh, however, uh, of course, they have to live somewhere, and so there were cities set aside for uh, for the Levim. And uh, <clears throat> these rules uh, address the cities of the Livim, uh as well. Uh, the Torah goes on to say, still uh, continuing in this this theme of being aware of fellow jews uh, impoverished state uh, that it is that it 's possible uh, for someone to be in a uh, particularly uh, difficult financial situation um, and uh, might need your assistance uh, so one way of helping the poor uh, might be by giving the poor person a loan. And the Torah says that when you give someone a loan. Uh, you are not to take interest, you're not to charge interest, and the the person who's taking loan is is not to uh, pay interest, Um, because uh, what interest does is it makes it more and more difficult for the person to escape the poverty. Uh, The Torah goes on to say that it's possible for a person to be in such an impoverished uh, state that he uh, sells himself as a slave uh, and so the Torah emphasizes that even a uh, Hebrew slave who is in this situation uh, is only, uh, is not sold beyond Yovel. Uh, Yovel, uh, he returns to uh, to freedom, he is set free. And we're told that even though he is your slave, you have to remember he is a fellow Jew and you're not to dominate him, you're not to give him uh, work that is uh, unnecessary. And then there are rules about dealing with a non-Hebrew slave and, uh, and how to treat, uh, to treat them. Um, we're also told that a Hebrew slave who's been sold to a, non, a non-Hebrew, which might happen particularly in a situation of uh, abject poverty, uh, that we have a special obligation to try to redeem that Hebrew slave and bring him back uh, to live uh, as a Jew among Jews. Uh, and as the Torah says, uh, you are to remember that you are my slaves, Hashem says. You are my servants. Uh, being a servant to other servants, to other human beings, is, uh, might be a necessity in the certain circumstances, but it's far from ideal. But to be a servant to Hashem, uh, is, uh, uplifting. And this is uh, something that we must uh, remind ourselves, uh, and it's a, a theme that runs throughout this pasha. Uh, to realize the temporary nature of, uh, of our physical existence. Towards the very, very end of the parasha, uh, we have uh, another mention of some other mitzvot, most of which we have uh, seen before. Uh, we are reminded not to, uh, not to make anything that can be used as an idol, um, and also not to create a stone floor, um, for, for bowing on. Uh, there was a stone floor in the Beit HaMikdash, but that is exclusively for the Beit HaMikdash, nowhere else. Uh, and so one is not permitted to prostrate oneself, to bow uh, on a stone floor. And the Torah concludes the parsha by reminding us to observe all of the Shabbatot. Uh, that refers back to last week's parasha, the importance of, the, of observing Shabbat and all of the festivals and to revere the sanctuary uh, the sanctuary being uh, the Beit HaMikdash and to a degree the land of Israel uh, as well let's uh, return to uh, something that we said uh, earlier uh, that uh, we are not too wrong one another uh, that's uh, brought up in the context of buying and selling land uh, we are reminded not to take advantage of someone who is in a dire situation. Um, However, the prohibition against wronging one one another uh, applies under all circumstances. Now, when the Torah talks about wronging, uh, it uses a particular word. It uses the word um, lo tonu, ish et achiv. First way that it is uh, brought up, the, the context in which it's brought up, is when uh, buying and selling property—that's true—but um, but, um, but uh, again, the, the Torah is talking about something that is uh, that is generally true, uh, namely, uh, one is not to uh, wrong um, wrong uh, a, a fellow Jew. Um, now, what do we mean by uh, by wronging? Uh, that's the question, especially because uh, just uh, just uh, a few verses later, we're told once again not to wrong one another. Uh, do not wrong. So this word lehonot uh, means to take advantage. Uh, to oppress, uh, to hurt someone. And Rashi, based on the uh, Gemara, tells us that that, uh, because we have this uh, prohibition mentioned two different times, we're really talking about two different types of ona'a, wronging. The first one, says Rashi, is ona'at mamon, uh, refers to wrongdoing in money matters. Uh, that essentially means, uh, among other things, taking advantage of somebody's financial situation uh, to, to harm them, to overcharge them beyond a certain uh, uh, amount of uh, profit that is uh, permissible uh, in money matters. That's one kind of onaah. But there's another kind of onaah which Rashi, quoting the Talmud, uh, says is uh, referred to in the second uh, verse uh is to harm someone uh and the same word is used, ona, but with words, not in a monetary sense, but with words. And Rashi gives a few uh examples. For example, to give somebody advice, uh knowing that the advice is not suited for him, but giving him advice in a way that is to the advantage of the person giving the advice. Um, I give somebody the advice and I know it's not going to work out and I'm going to reap the benefits. So that is uh, harming somebody through words. Uh, Before we see some other examples of onaat dvarim, wronging through words, uh, Rashi addresses another aspect of the verse and that is that the the verse uh, doesn't only say do not wrong one another, but it says... Fear your God, because I am Hashem, your God. And Rashi uh, points out that that this emphasis on uh, I am Hashem, your God, uh, is there uh, because we have to be uh, fearful of God, because it's very possible that no one else but God uh, will be will know. Whether I'm giving this bad advice intentionally or unintentionally, uh, the bottom line is that this is a question of uh, of conscience. What a person is aware of, what a person is, um, in, what a person intends. Uh, no one else knows the truth except the person himself, unless he's fooling himself, um, and Hashem the one who uh, knows the thoughts of, uh, of all people. So therefore, Rashi says this is a matter of, of uh, a general principle, that whenever we deal with an, an area uh, that, is, that connects to the, to the heart, meaning the mind, um, the Torah reminds us once again to be fearful uh, of Hashem. Be aware of the fact that maybe nobody else knows if you're giving bad advice, but Hashem does. The, <clears throat> the Mishnah in uh, Bava Metzia uh, gives uh, some other examples of onaat dvarim harming somebody uh, through words. Uh, first, it gives the example of uh, treating about shuva, saying to someone who has repented from uh, their sins uh, to uh annoy them by saying oh remember the sins that you once did that's harmful uh that is hurtful and that is not uh permissible that's onaat dvarim hurting somebody uh by using hurtful words and then uh as the gemara continues the discussion it gives another example of onaat dvarim and that is that if a person is suffering Uh, A person is suffering uh, uh, financially or a person is suffering in in his health uh, or has suffered uh, a loss, uh, a a death in his family. So it is wrong to say to such a person that these bad things are happening to him uh, because God is punishing you. Uh, uh, The example of this uh, is cited from the book of Eoph uh remember eo suffered a great deal and his friends come to uh, to comfort him uh but uh once they engage in a dialogue um, among the things they say to him well uh remember it's it's never happened that a person has suffered without uh without good reason uh, and i should just add that this may objectively be true because god does uh, does judge but it is the wrong thing to say to a person when they are suffering. Uh, to say, these bad things are happening to you, God is punishing you. It's not the time to do it because it is hurtful. And so we are taught uh, that there are really two different kinds of onaa, wronging. Uh, one is in a financial sense, uh, and the other is by saying things that are uh, that are hurtful. And both of these are prohibited Uh, by the Torah. Thank you very much for joining me once again uh, for our exploration of Parashat uh, Behar. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parashat Highlights and Insights saying Shalom.